The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. Well, if you've got your copies of God's Word, turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Uh, Daniel, great job tonight. Thank you, brother. Can I ask you a question? Is that guy over there on the drums related to you? Yeah. Wow. I did not know. Wow. He does bear a strange resemblance. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Uh, so we now have a profound 11-year-old drummer. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. Thank you, brother. If you've got your copies of God's Word, go with me to Ecclesiastes and our last study in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Chapter 12. And before I read it, just a couple of thoughts. Uh, I kind of feel I know, you know, there are people are two different ways in terms of expository preaching. One is, oh, yeah, Pastor, I love it when we work through books. Can you do it real quick? And uh, then the, those that say, you know, why are you going so fast? Uh, can you slow down? We need to dig in. And uh, so and then there's those that say, boy, you are doing that just right. <laughs> that seem to be few and far between, but I think they're there somewhere. And, uh, but I feel like I, when I get to the end of a book, I feel like I've just uh, said goodbye to a close friend, at least for a while, uh, to get back to them. And uh, Ecclesiastes has been an enjoyable summer series for me uh, with you, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do it. And before I get there, to just let me kind of uh, set the stage maybe and unite a little bit with what we're looking at in this coming uh, couple of um, in this coming week. Our conference on theology and life is going to be on the issue of origins. And interestingly, it says uh, under the title is Genesis history. Well, not only do obviously we believe it's history. And we believe, therefore, the book is a historical narrative and it gives us historical facts that we are now to understand, uh, asking God for wisdom from above as we look at the book of nature as well as the book of the word itself. Uh, but when you're doing that, when you come to Genesis, here's one of the first things you're confronted with. Not only is Genesis history, Genesis records the beginning of history right there in chapter one and verse one. In fact, it immediately presents us the challenge that we have with a biblical world in life view. In terms of origins, you really get down to what is eternal. When you've got something that is, you have to ask yourself, has it always been or has it had a beginning point? And does it have an ending point? Does it have a beginning? Does it have an end? And... And what is it? And then when we look at ourselves, what about ourselves? 
Well, ultimately, and I'll be glad to go through all of the isms related to materialism and secularism and humanism and, and all of those world and life views, but ultimately, you almost always get to the place that um, Carl Sagan, when he wrote his book Cosmos, he gave you his confession of faith. He said this, the cosmos, that means creation. That's all there is. That's all there was. That's all there ever will be. And so he just gave you his Trinitarian statement of faith. That the cosmos, space, time, and matter. It is. It was. It always will be. That's what he now presents to you. And within that is the notion that if you give space and time and matter, if you give space and matter enough time, then you get this. And not to be overly simplistic, but to be, um, I think, accurately simplistic, uh, that's ultimately where you are. That is, you are basically a cosmic accident that somehow has intelligent design when there is no intelligent designer. And that there was space, time, and matter. They are eternal, and they've always existed and always will. And if you give it enough time, then you get this that's here before us. Well, I always like to then, usually in a tweet, I'll maybe say this, for a, a little bit more of an intelligent option. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was God. And it is this God who has made us. And it is this God that has made the heavens and the earth. And in that opening verse, you have those three elements. Space, the heavens, the earth and all that is matter. And then the beginning. And immediately you're confronted with ultimately what makes the most sense and what do you believe. There is a God who is, who was, and is to come. And then with his wisdom and purpose has made all that there is space Time and matter. Time, let me just pull that one out. Time is a created reality. Time is not eternal. Time, that is chronos, the succession of moments, is a created reality. Just like matter is a created reality. Just like the heavens are a created reality. It is a reality and it's here because there is a creator who created it. So Genesis 1-1 not only is historical, it documents the moment that history begins. Time. And then we who have time... We're even told by the word of God that our time has been appointed. Our days have been numbered. This time is a resource that you have that unlike any other resource, 
you, God sovereignly has not only determined how much of it you're going to have, God has also, God has also determined your days and God has given you something called time and that resource is non-renewable. If I have $10 and I spend $10 and I try to be a good steward, I can get another $10 after I've spent it. But today I just spent August the 18th. I made every decision of what I was going to do this day. You did the same thing. We don't get it back. That's why I seldom talk about time management. I usually speak of, uh, because have you ever noticed how time manages itself? I mean, it does pretty well. That's why I like to use the old biblical phraseology, redeem the time, and how do you spend your time, yet after you spend it, you don't get it back. In other words, may I try to illustrate it this way. You were born into this world with a sovereignly ordained number of sunrises and sunsets. And there will come a day that you get up one morning and will not go to bed that night. There will come a day there will be a final heartbeat. Our days have been given to us, and every time we spend one, it's gone. Now, sometimes I'm confronted with uh, people who talk about time, and, and I, I am so glad this is past. I don't know, but there was a, in the 1990s, um, I don't know how much Frank had to deal with it in Birmingham, but my goodness, in Charlotte, I felt like I was dealing with it all the time, is the boomers had now come into a new syndrome called a midlife crisis. And, and I never failed. I just finally, I just, I, I said, I'm so frustrated with this. The next guy that pulls up to my office in a Corvette with permed hair, a silk shirt, and a gold chain, I am going to shoot you before you get out of the car. And uh, so, and I remember one guy that comes out and says to me, he says, I'm in a midlife crisis. I said, well, uh, trying to get the conversation going, being pastoral. I want you all to know I was being pastoral. And I said, so how old are you? He said, Fifty-five, And I started laughing. And, of course, I had to go backtrack and forgive me on that. But um, the reason I started laughing, I just asked him, I said, how many 110-year-old men do you know? I mean, this isn't really midlife crisis here. I mean, you're not in midlife. You're not making the turn. You're already on the back nine, and you can see the clubhouse from where you are. That's where we are. So if you, every day, I wouldn't tell you to do that, but every day, if you just take, uh, I like what one guy challenged me with. He said, just take a jar and put a marble in uh, for every day. That is your estimated lifespan. Just go get it from the insurance people. They've got one for you. And let's say you get the average lifespan and you pull out one marble every day. You don't get to put any back in. That's done. So what is your stewardship of time? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to do three sermons on that um, when we uh, move to the stewardship lifestyle as uh, the lifestyle of stewardship as a Christian. We're going to talk about time. 
But I want to go ahead and give you a beginning point at the concluding point of the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Would you look with me in this passage of Scripture that, that we look at and that we would examine and, and see what it says to us in chapter 12? I'm going to give you three, um, three ways to work through Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Three, or not three ways, but three kind of um, progressive statements that are being made in this concluding statement. Now, Solomon, like almost all the other authors, and again, I do believe it's Solomon. In fact, one of the reasons I believe it's Solomon is in chapter 12. And I've already tried to defend that, so I'm not going to go back and defend that. I believe this is a penitent Solomon that has told us so much about world and life you because he keeps telling us there are all kinds of things that are offered to you for meaning and security and strength and and significance in life but they do not work they are striving after the wind they are vanity they are emptiness in life they may have moments of exhilaration but they do not give gravitas in life direction in life purpose in life and they are not life they are facsimiles that do not make life one of the great blessings that guys like me have who are sometimes directionally uh, challenge is this new thing that was done. I don't know what year they started it, but I want to thank every city government that does it. And that is the new street sign that says no outlet or dead end. And Solomon's walked you right through it. Materialism, dead end. Idolatry of work, dead end. Wine, dead end. Song, dead end. Women, dead end. Sex, dead end. Knowledge, dead end. Anything that may in and of itself be valid in this right context that you put in front of, above, or before God as that world and life view whereby you embrace the, the direction, adoration, allegiance, and affections of your life, dead end. It's empty. It's vanity. In other words, Solomon was Mick Jagger before Mick Jagger. I've tried it all. I can't get no satisfaction. I can get nothing. Everything is a dead end. So, and then periodically, remember, I told you how Ecclesiastes kind of, kind of just forbids you to try to outline it because periodically what Solomon does, he can't help himself. He just, in the chapter, when he's laying out this vanity for us, uh, he just punches out of the ceiling above the sun. Not, no longer, not only everything's vanity under the sun, but he'll punch through above the sun to the one who is the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. And he'll give us something that makes sense in life. But in this case... He's not punching through, he's concluding. And this is what he says to us in chapter 12 in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth 
before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain of the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Kolihoth. It is all vanity. So he starts off with this entreaty, and his entreaty is very pointed. It's a, the concluding entreaty that he is making, and I'm going to give you these, uh, these three ways to work through it. The concluding entreaty, then the concluding engagement, and then the concluding event. So the concluding this entreaty is this, remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Now, some of you are so sharp, you're so quick, you're so smart, you just said, Pastor, you did not quote it right, and you're right. It doesn't say remember the creator in the days of your youth, although I see that tweeted a lot. It says remember also. He's in the book of Ecclesiastes giving you numerous things that you remember also. And there are there are other things that you remember in life. In fact, that's helpful for us to understand. What does he mean by remember? Remember the creator. Does that mean to jot down on a note sheet in a spiral notebook? God made me. Don't forget that. No, it means certainly means that, but it means much more than that. It means to bring full concentration with intentionality for the purpose of affection, adoration, and allegiance. It's something that sanctifies, that governs, and frames you. What are some of the other things you remember? Last Lord's Day, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, remember the body and blood of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. That doesn't mean, oh, yeah, body and blood of the Lord. Yeah, he had a body. He had a blood. No, no, no. It means what, what was what did he do with that body? Intentionally understand from the word of God what that means and who that is and what he has done in his body for us and what he did when he shed his blood for us. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath, probably the most at the moment. We vie for many of them, but perhaps even within the church, the most broken of the commandments. Remember the Sabbath day. It's the first positive commandment. It is stated it brings a promise for life. 
And what does it mean? It means to bring sacred focus for the purpose of affection, allegiance, and adoration. And it is not a burden. In fact, it's a gift from God. I didn't make man for the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for man. It's God's gift to us and foundational for the stewardship of time because it blesses the other six days. And it's and the Lord brings this to us and calls us to us and tells calls us to it. Remember, there's numerous other things that he tells us to remember, even within the book of Ecclesiastes. But my point is, he's not just saying, OK, jot it down. Uh, academic fact, you have a creator and uh, don't forget that. No, it's not just a fact not to forget It is a reality that ought to shape and direct your life and my life with the other things that God has told us to remember. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And what is that telling you? That's telling you start now. Pastor, I'm not young. Well, you're getting older. Uh, So you're young now compared to what you're going to be tomorrow. In fact, now... Uh, now is uh, is almost yesterday. Now, just a few hours ago, was tomorrow. Now, the Bible. You ever notice the emphasis in the Bible? Now, 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 now. This day is the day of salvation. So here you are, at where you are in your life. Everything is dead in, except a life that is lived to the glory of God by the grace of God. So here is a beginning point to nail, set it deep, set the nail deep. Remember, with intentional consecration and reverence for the purpose of adoration, allegiance and affection, remember your creator. Who? Your creator. Your God made you. There's no reason to seek him as savior if you don't know he has made you. He is your creator. He made you. He formed you in your mother's womb. Mysteriously, in his own way and own purposes, he joined in that body that was being formed, your soul and your spirit, and you came forth in the image of your parents physically and in the image of God spiritually. Made in his image with dignity. He made you. He made you in his image. He is your creator. Therefore, in your youth. Well, pastor, my youth is is past. Well, then start right now. What he's telling you is don't spend time apart from remembering the God who made you. There's the beginning point of a world in life view. Not life under the sun, but life for the one who made the sun. So you remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Well, what constitutes youth? Well, he says, let me tell you, what constitutes youth is any time that's before what I'm about to explain to you. And then this beautiful, almost poetic 
verses begin to unfold for us. What is ahead in a fallen world tomorrow, the next day? He said, here's what's ahead. Remember, go back with me to it, because this is so beautiful. It bears a repetition before the evil days come and the years draw near of which when they come, you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. Those older years that if you're apart from your creator in a vibrant, save saving relationship. They're years you just live out. You just maybe get up, go sit on the rock, on the lazy boy, you know, hit the, hit the, hit the lever. Boom. Legs pop up, cut the TV on and just exist. The days in which you say there is no hope, the days in which they're evil days, there's no hope in them. The years are drawing near. And then those when you say, ah, there's just no pleasure in them. Now, I want to stop there because if you know your God, well, I'll get to that at the end. But if you know your God, those days really never come. I'll tell you what's open for you is the days of Caleb. <laughs> you remember him when he was 40? He went and spied out the land. He came back. And what did Joshua and Caleb tell Moses? Hey, there's giants. You know what they are? They're like grasshoppers. Then 40 years later, with Joshua, he goes to him and says, give me the hill country. I am as strong today as I was then. Well, I want to tell you something. With all due respect, unless God had done a miracle, he was not as strong at 80 when he was 40. I can just about assure you he is not benching what he was. But his perspective was his God's strength was the same in him. So you give me the high country. I'll go. I'll be there. My days are as they were. And so he so that you so those days in a sense never come. But if you don't remember your your creator, the days of your youth out in front of you is coming a time in which you say, oh, my goodness, another day. I guess I'll crawl out of bed. I think I'll go sit on the rocker. I think I'll see the lazy boy. I'm going to go watch television. I'll get dreary eyed, bleary eyed. I'll work through what's what, what are we going to eat? And then as soon as you finish eating, what, what, what's next? Uh, when, when's the next meal? And um, I mean, you may work in a trip to Walmart, but that's just pretty much it. There is no pleasure in them, no hope, no ambition, no, no sense of significance. And then he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. Well, the sun, the moon, the stars are not darkened when you get older, but you don't see them as good. And their light doesn't help you like it used to because the eyes are being dimmed and the lights are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. It's no longer, man, it quit raining. What's next? No, it's raining. It'll probably rain again tomorrow. There is that sense of depression, that sense of darkness, that sense of storm after storm. And in the day when the keepers of the house uh, and in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, 
Have you ever noticed when you're young, you don't run around and lock all the doors? When you get older, you know, we better lock the door. You don't know who's going to break in. All of a sudden, every door's got to be locked. Every, pre, every protection's got to be in place. Uh, how many alarms can we buy? Uh, maybe that'll do it. Why? Because the insecurity of the older years, apart from the strength of the Lord, began to creep in. And so the keepers of the house tremble. The strong men are bent. You remember those guys that are strong? They don't seem to be as strong anymore. And by the way, look, they're bent over. So I had it this last week. I went to another doctor. I told my wife this week, I said, honey, I want you to know I'm telling you before the Lord and now say it before the Sunday evening congregation whom I trust. I asked the Lord to forgive me for every time I made fun of my grandparents for all the doctors that they visited all the time. I mean, my grandmother, I don't know how many doctors she had, and I don't know how many pill cases she filled up every day, but I now repent of everything that I said in those days. Why? Because, I, and then I went to another doctor, went to two of them this week, and when I got to, when I got to one, the, she, she said, I mean, I, he said to me, he's an elder in this church, and he said to me, he said, now pastor, just how tall are you? I said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I used to be six foot one. Uh, And he said, well, what are you now? I said, I ain't even close. (laughs) I mean, gravity is winning. And I mean, it's just taking over. And uh, and that's what happens. Gravity wins. I don't care if you're six foot one. You're soon going to be six foot under. So uh, they just keep pulling you down. That's it. And so uh, the strong men, they're bent. (laughs) You don't you have you ever felt it before you you know you remember those guys you used to see on the baseball diamond on the football field and the basketball court and then they have a reunion 20 years later and you look at them walking out there and say what happened to you we remember them in their youth and then we look he said those are the days that are coming so right now today is the day that you remember your creator. So those days will be different when those days come. He doesn't stop there. He says the grinders cease because they are few. Well, Pastor, what is he talking about? He's talking about your teeth. My teeth. That's what it means in the original concept. Your grinders are few. The top ones are not numerous enough to meet the few that are in the bottom. And there's a space in between. It's just not there anymore. But if you make friends with some of our dentists in here, you can possibly get some implants. I'm on number two that's uh, right in front of me. So, but that's what happens. The grinders are few. Because they, I mean, the grinders cease because they are few. And you before before long you don't bite into the corn of cob. You just now shave it off and suck on it for a while. Is what happens. They're gone. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. There's no shades on the windows. It's just the eyesight is dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low. In other words, everybody is no longer opening the door to go out. Everybody's closing the door and staying in. And when the sound of the and, and when the and, um, and no and one rises up at the sound of a bird. Have y'all ever noticed that? 
when you get older, you don't sleep as much. That's not so good. That's just, there's another reason why you're not sleeping so much. And then all of a sudden, the birds are, you're up when the birds are singing. And uh, you're up when the birds are singing because you can't sleep anymore. But here's the problem. You get up when the birds are singing, but you can't hear them singing anymore because your ears, uh, you can't have your hearing. And then he says, and the, all the daughters of song are brought low. <laughs> so, folks, it happens to me every Sunday. Pastor, can you all do something about that sound system? Well, we've got two the size of refrigerators up here. We've got them down here. They're going full blast. You think there may be something wrong with our ears. That may be part of the problem. I understand that they all, we always have to keep working on it, so please don't think I'm not feeling. But, but the fact is, when the daughters sing and the preacher preaches, we may not hear them because we, we just need some help in hearing. And then he says, they're afraid also of what is high. My wife and I were talking about that. Now, by the way, I researched that. I used to just jump around. I didn't care how high I was. I mean, in fact, I remember one time at Chimney Rock at the Lake Lure, my mother and daddy went crazy because I'm jumping around on that rock with a 2,000-foot fall in front of it. And I didn't even think about it. Folks, I can't even get near the edge of the balcony now when it's got 12. And my knees start trembling, and I start looking over. Now, I did find out, all you medical guys, they the medical Christian medical uh, doctors say that is a gift from God. That is a gift from God that you begin to develop uh, that um, um, fear of heights. You begin to develop that. That's a gift from God because when you get older, guess what else happens? You lose balance. And that's God protecting you, not getting in a place where you should, where you need balance. That's God keeping you away from the edge because you're losing your balance. And so that's what he says to us now. He says, now we've got these fear of heights of what is high and the terrors are in the way. We're always seeing something out there that's about to get to us, something out there that is after us. The almond tree blossoms. Okay. I had some of the people say, Pastor, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, you kind of explained all of these, but what is that one? Okay, men, he's talking about your hair. Almond blossoms are what color? White. I used to be worried about turning white, but I don't have to worry about it because it's all turned loose. The almond tree blossoms. The hair turns white. The grasshopper drags itself along. And desire now fails. That's probably a tactful allusion to the loss of the sex drive in the life of a man and a woman. Because man is going to his eternal home. That day of death is coming closer. The mourners go about in the street. All of a sudden, there's all these people that... Now, my aunt was one of these. I love my aunt so much in Charlotte. But it did not matter who was dying. When I went to the McEwen Funeral Home, she was there. I asked her, did McEwen Funeral Home pay her just to show up at every funeral that was there? She said, no, I just know everybody. And I think I ought to be there. And that's where she was. The here are almost like professional mourners are in place because the season of death is there. And why are the mourners there? They're there in anticipation of the silver cord that is snapped. Before the silver cord is snapped, or I like the old language, is 
breaks. Because I love Fanny Crosby. I love her hymns. And there's maybe no hymn more that I love than the one that she so wonderfully wrote for us. Here is this lady that was blind. And she said, someday the silver cord shall break. I am no longer living here. The cord will break. And then I shall see him face to face. This lifelong blindness would be gone in that day. But that day is coming. The silver cord is break. The golden bowl that holds the uh, uh, that holds the glories of life is broken. The pitcher with the water of life is shattered at the fountain. The wheel that is the continual movement throughout life is now broken at the cistern, and from dust to dust. They return to the earth. This body that was born with such life has now come to an end. As it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. What's the antidote to this? Only one. Right now. With adoration, affection, and allegiance, remember your Creator. He then goes ahead to develop this more pointedly, not only giving us this entreaty, but then uh, giving us uh, the engagement whereby we're able to remember our Creator. Look at the verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. That's one of the reasons I believe this is the book of Solomon. He's the preacher, and that is exactly what he did in his life before he got off track. He would bring for he asked God for wisdom and would arrange the thousands of proverbs. And he would do so with great care. How can I, the preacher, sought to find words of delight uprightly? He wrote words of truth. So what is it that you need to engage in? The word of God and the preaching of that word. Now, that's not the only way you engage in God's word. We engage in it wonderfully tonight by singing it. We engage in it gloriously tonight by confessing it as a call to worship. We engage in it in our Bible study. We engage in it in our small group discipleship. But here he says, engage with the preacher who is called to take the words that have been given by the Lord and arrange them so that we can understand them. We'll apply them so that we know the God of the word. So this preacher now takes the word of God, which is the word of truth. And he arranges it. He looks for the words of delight that will explain it. He looks for and of, he looks to bring it forth rightly. This is another way of what it says in Second Timothy two fifteen. Study the word. Be a workman, handling accurately, rightly dividing, cutting straight the word of God. So you want to remember the Creator? Get in the Word. You want to remember the Creator? Be under sound preaching. And preachers, if you're going to be faithful to the Lord and his word, then take the time. That's why we give the tithe to support you. 
What does the Bible say? It says this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those like our our founding pastor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching so that you're arranging it and you're putting it together. Praise the Lord for this little thing. And you remember, did you have a teacher or a preacher or a professor that meant something to you? That really affected your life. And then uh, you do what Ecclesiastes is doing. You find a way to affirm it. And you find a way to thank him. Here's what it says in the next verse. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Where did this word come from? It didn't come from the preacher. The preachers that are called, it came from the preacher, and that is the one shepherd who is Christ. And it is that shepherd who speaks through his word preached. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear him without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Faith comes from hearing the spirit born, the rhema word of Christ. So our shepherd has given his word to be preached. And this is what the Bible says. You're hearing him when it is faithfully preached by his spirit. And the Bible tells us my sheep know my voice the great shepherd, and they follow me. So he says, I want to engage you into the word of God. I want to engage you into the word of God and the preaching of it, because when it's arranged and when it's thought through and when it's brought to you, you have the word from the shepherd and the shepherd is speaking to you and it becomes like a goad. You know what a goad is? A goad is something that says uh, you can't pass by. You can't fall back. You would put it at certain places so the cattle couldn't go backwards. They would only have to go forward. They're goads that that are fixed so that you can't get off a track. And then he gives another picture. Boy, this one resonates with me because I not only had a granddaddy who was a lay minister in the Methodist church, I had a granddaddy who just basically worked so hard and he was an unbelievable carpenter. And I'll never forget one time when we were putting something together and he was letting me nail it and I nailed it down. And I said, okay, granddaddy, I'm through. And he said, oh, no, you're not, son. And he went over to his little pouch that seemed to have everything in the world in it. And he reached into the pouch and he pulled out this silver thing and he took his his hammer and he put that silver thing on top of that nail and then hit it until it dug down deep. He said, you haven't finished nailing until you set the nail. And that's what God's word preached is called to do is to put the goad that you don't go where you ought not to go and then nail down deep the truth of God's word in life and for life with words of delight that are appealing and uprightly. That's what God has called us to do. Will everybody want that? No, that's not our job. 
Our job is not to create the appetite. Our job is to fill the appetite. Only the, only the Spirit of God will give you a desire for His Word. Oh, I can come up with a talk. I can come up with stories. I can come up with coach-me-up talks. I can come up with all of those things, and I can be a comedian and all of that. But that's not doing what you need to remember your God. You need His Word. You need to be arranged. It needs to be filled. It needs to be applied. It needs to be thought through. And then it needs the nail to be set, the goads put into place. And then he says, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now, I don't think he's saying, I hope he's not saying don't write books, because I do. I hope he's not saying they're worthless, because I don't think they are. But the books that come in and from any of us in this world are nothing compared to the book given by the shepherd, the word of God. I find it interesting. We'll read blog after blog, tweet after tweet, um, technical journal after technical journal, but no time for the word of God, which is profitable, every page of it, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. He says, well, we bring it to the concluding matter. And here's the concluding matter. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Uh-oh, something just got added. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing, whether good or evil. Of course, Paul will call upon this. We must all appear before the judgment seat. And on that day, it'll be revealed. Folks, I'm out of time, so I'm not going to go there. But if you'll go to Revelation and uh, chapter 20, and you'll see that judgment seat that we stand. You're either in the books or you're in the book of life. If you're in the books, our sins are revealed in thought, word, and deed. And then we bear the penalty of it. But if you're in the book of life, your judgment is a judgment of stewardship because there is no judgment for those in the Lamb's book of life because Christ has already taken that judgment. That day comes for every one of us, and every day brings you closer and closer and closer. So now, know your Creator and keep His commandments and hear the gospel has been put in for us. Why do you keep the commandments of the Creator? Well, he's told me to in this text. is developing a life that's not just frittered away in despair, that doesn't go down dead ends. Yes, you're right. But why do you keep the commandments? Jesus, the shepherd, in his book, tells you. He says, who keeps my commandments? If you love me. You will keep my commandments. 
Our reverence of the Lord God who made us is propelled by that Lord God who is not only our creator, but our redeemer. Harry, how do you get there? You keep his commandments because you love him. Why do you love him? Because he first loved you. He, when he didn't need you, wanted you. You, when you needed him, did not want him. And this one who made you sent his son to save you. Now, his love constrains you. And when it constrains and compels you, you keep his commandments because you love him who first loved you. I know this is a motivated crowd. You wouldn't be here on Sunday night. But there could be someone here who keeps coming looking. You found it. The answer isn't the preacher up here. The answer is not Briarwood. The answer is the shepherd. Who gave his life for the sheep. Who loves you. And then when you come to love him. You will remember him. And when you remember him, him who died for me, yes, it's the same one who made you, who died for you. Through Christ, all things were made, and for him, all things were made, our creator. And he gave his life for you, that you could have everlasting life. Now that he is your life, a great joy is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And to love others, even as we would be loved. That means we keep His commandments. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the moment in time that we could be together in Your Word tonight. Thank You so much for the richness of the book of Ecclesiastes. I again ask You, God, as I have almost every week, Please overcome all of the inadequacies of the preacher in this pulpit in light of not only his inadequacies, but also the challenge of this text. But, Father, we have attempted to be faithful to it. Would you now apply it into the hearts and lives of those that are here? And then, oh God, if there's anyone here who has not come to their creator as their Savior and Lord, would you this day bring them? And I want you to know there are people here right up front. I'll be up front if you want to talk about that commitment to Christ, as well as others will be here. And then, Father, I pray that those who do know you, would you bring us back today, now, before the days of despair come. Help us to know you, love you, keep your commandments So that when the days in the future come, they no longer are days of diminishment, but days of anticipation, because our best days are ahead of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org.
or call 205-776-5200.